This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Welcome to Invest Talk, above average investing for the average investor. We try to bring you useful information and answer any questions you might have, as long as they're financial. 888-99 Charter is our number, 888-992-4278. Let's go to John in the Bay Area. How you doing, John? Pretty good, pretty good, Steve. Thanks, Thanks for calling. Yeah, I've got a 403B from a former employer sitting in cash right now. I was uh, getting ready to go through the steps and convert it mm-hmm. and move it into an IRA. Any thoughts on which way to, to push how, it? How uh, old are you, John? 44. Okay, well, you're going to need to be in the market. You're too young not to be in the market. So, right, I got a 401k as well, but this thing has been sitting around, and I, you know, with all that's been going on in the last couple of years, I just let it sit there and, uh, you know. Convert right. to an IRA, put some in international exposure, some in emerging market exposure, and then some, uh, more a majority of it in American growing companies. You know, uh, uh-huh. growth. Uh, you could use funds or ETFs. Uh, if you're going to use funds, make sure it's small, mid, or, or large cap growth funds. And make sure you have some foreign exposure. Dividends are important okay. as well. So spread it around, John. Don't put it all in any you know, one thing. Don't spread it to 100 different things. But spread it around enough that you get a good exposure through various sectors of the market. And don't forget okay. that foreign exposure because long term, that's where the growth is going to come from. Okay. Call me if you want more details. I'll be happy to give them to you. Great. Thank you very much. John, appreciate the call. Thank you. 888-99-CHART. Let's talk to Paige in Sunnyvale. How are you doing, Paige? I'm just fine, thank you. I thank you for calling. My... Yes, I just switched my brokerage services from Fidelity to First Trade to get zero-fee trading privileges. And okay. I used to... I used to put the money that I had on the sidelines in a money market fund, but First Trade doesn't have one. And I read that a short maturity bond ETF would be a safe alternative. I've got one in mind, and I'm just curious if there's anything I need to be aware of. Is that a safe place to be on the sidelines, especially if there's a bond bubble? Okay, the question you're asking is how safe is the short-term bond fund? And my answer would be it depends on the fund, and it should be an ultra-short-term bond fund, not just a short-term bond fund. Ultra-short-term bond funds usually have maturities less than 30 days. Okay? okay, so rising and falling of interest rates doesn't really affect them. So all you're really worried about is safety and how much income, like a savings account, it can produce. And they're producing between 2 and 3%, some of them a little bit more. But, of course, the safety of any bond fund is how quality the bonds are, right? Really. The shorter they are, the more safer they are, and the higher quality they are, the safer they are. Of course, that means less return for you. So, the, if the short-term bond fund is described as just short-term, that means one to three years, by the way, short-term. Mm-hmm. And that is not nearly as safe as an ultra-short-term bond fund. Now, I have a short list of 
three, I think, ultra short-term bond funds. If you want them, send me an email and I'll send them to you. And you only send me an email, so it reminds me to send it to you. Just ask for it. Okay? okay. And I'll send it to you. Thank so you, you want the ultra, ultra short-term bond fund ETF list. And I'll send it to you. Okay, Paige? Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I love that name, Paige. My favorite, one of my favorite nieces. Not my favorite, because if I say she's my favorite and I got, you know, fifteen others, I can't say that. One of my favorite nieces. How's that? I got thirty-nine nieces and nephews, so you know, <laughs> I got to be careful. I love them all. Let's talk to Bill in the Castro Valley. How you doing, Bill? I'm doing good. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Can't complain. My question was about earnings. Okay, they say they're going to make 18 cents, and they make it 19 and a half. They beat the street by a penny and a half. Is this actually a valid one, or is this maybe uh, analysts and brokerage pumping the stock by underestimating the uh, street? Well, that is a bone of contention with a lot of people, including myself. When they say they beat earnings by a penny or two pennies or even a nickel, I don't really care. Did they do that because they manipulated depreciation and they manipulated, uh, they brought forward some sales or that should be put into the next quarter instead of this quarter by, again, the accounts receivable? And, Bill, uh, that is always very difficult for you to determine. That's why you want to look at consistently earnings beating the expectations quarter over quarter and year over year. If they're able to do it all consistently, then, because you can only lie so much, Bill. For instance, if you borrow next quarter's earnings, so this quarter you beat by a penny a share, that means next quarter you got to actually do a lot more business to make up for that. And did they do it next quarter and the quarter after that? And all this is very difficult for you, the layperson, to figure this out, Bill. It's very difficult. But you have to look at the quality and quantity of earnings together. I always like to look at how they are booking their profits. For instance, Apple Computer. You know, they're selling tons of those iPhones, right? Well, they're recognizing their earnings of the iPhone over the length of the contract of AT&T, the two-year contract. They actually get the money now, but they don't recognize the earning. They spread it out over 24 months. Every month, they recognize a 124th of the sale of that iPhone, even though they got the money right away. That's very conservative, and that's very good for you and I, the shareholder. Other companies will recognize that all right up front. They recognized their earnings when they sold the phone to the retailer. And they really didn't get the earnings. And they, those phones might be coming back to them. You know, maybe they didn't get sold. See, so there's very different ways. And that's very difficult to figure out. You just got to know how they do it. So earnings are very important. How they, and how they cheat and steal. And I, I don't mean to say that all corporations cheat and steal. I don't. But how they fudge the numbers or not. Many companies don't. They're strictly straight up and down. Many companies, GE fights their numbers for years and years and years. We've even said it on the radio. How can they always beat their earnings by a penny a share? How can that? Every quarter, 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 penny a share, beat their earnings. Well, that means they're manipulating them all. Don't like that. Bill, appreciate the call. Thank, Thank you, for, you very much. Thanks. I appreciate it. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278, and you can get through right now.
You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hi, my name's Sam. I'm a new listener. I have a question about whole life insurance policies. I have one of those for all five of my kids, and I've got one for myself and my wife. And putting away about 35 to 40 percent of the savings, my monthly amount of savings, I put about 30 to 40 percent of that into these very secure, well, at least I think they're secure policies. And I intend to pay them for the next, you know, 20, 25 years. I'm 32. I've had them since I was uh, 24. And I'm just wondering, I have the option to stop paying them. And then they'll, they'll still last, and they've been paid up enough, so they won't be, you know, they won't lapse or anything like that. And I'm just wondering if I should stop paying those and direct that 30% towards something else. Thank you. Well, I would. There's whole life, universal life, term life. Life insurance is supposed to be for life insurance. Insurance companies like to say, well, no, life insurance is an investment. And they use whole life and universal life as proof that's an investment. Is it an investment? Yes. But I don't think it's a very efficient investment. If you need life insurance, buy term life. That's for a certain amount over a certain period of time. I would not put more money into the, 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 the whole life. I would put that money into an account, a joint account, me and my wife, or if you're not maxing out your 401k, put, open up a IRA to get some tax benefits out of that, and then invest that money. You'll find that if you do the math and do it over a long period of time, you'll probably have more money investing on your own than if you would have kept putting it in the whole life universal life. Remember, you got to pay commissions for those things. They're expensive to maintain and keep, meaning there's high costs. Our Invest Talk mission is to help you make better investing decisions. To do that on your own, thumbs up or thumbs down choices based on good, solid investing principles. But we need your questions to keep us on track. 888-99-CHART or click on Contact Steve or Contact Justin on investtalk.com. Hi, Stephen Justin. It's Vladimir from California, long-time listener. Thank you so much for the show and for, for you guys that you are teaching us, your listeners. So I have a question regarding ABBV. It's MBI company. In last couple of episodes, you reviewed it for one caller, and I wanted to put it in my portfolio as well, but what I noticed that the company has a negative equity. In general, is it a worry sign uh, that the company have a negative equity? And specifically for our economy cycle, is it a worry sign? Should we stay away of such a company or it's okay? Uh, We'll be listening for your reply on the podcast. Thank you and take care. Bye-bye. If a company has negative equity, that means they they got too much debt or some other issues going on. And it is, I, I I don't buy companies that do that. Uh, so, yeah, it's a negative thing. And it's worse in an economic slump than a not. Because in a non-economic slump, they can finance their way, they can borrow money, it's easier. Of course, now, today, we have easy money. So it's not necessarily a problem for them. But it's not a good thing to have negative uh, equity. Let's go to Mike in San Diego. How are you doing, Mike? I had a question about loaded versus non-loaded mutual funds. Okay. You know, obviously, the prudent guy would, would 
air towards the non-loaded funds to kind of save money and right. initially up front, return right. on your investment, that type of thing. Yes. But uh, I recently read something on, like, A shares versus B shares and, and some of those arguments. Right. And I was kind of confused on what is the actual benefit of a loaded fund, or is there any? I will always tell you, never buy a loaded fund because you can find just as good managers and no-load funds. So why buy a loaded fund? And let me explain that to the other listeners. A loaded mutual fund is one where they you pay a commission to buy it. There are no-load funds, meaning no commission funds out there also. A loaded fund is sold to you by somebody, and they make that commission, usually 5%. A loaded fund could make up that 5% and make a ton of money and, and would be fine. You could do that. But the loaded fund has to overcome that commission before you start making money. So the process is why buy a loaded fund when you can buy a no-load fund, and you don't have to have that. You don't have that hurdle. Of course, there are some very good managers in loaded funds. But there's also very good financials and no-load funds. So my take is always buy a no-load fund. That problem is, is that means that puts homework to you to find them. A lot of people don't want to go through that work. They just go to a, you know, a, a, a broker and let him decide and he'll put you in a loaded fund because that's how he makes his money. Now, what about the... A shares, B shares, C shares. When you talk about loaded funds, they have different ways to charge a commission. Sometimes it's upfront 5%. Those are called A shares, Mike. They're always upfront 5%. You give them $1,000, they're going to take 5% of that right off the top and you're only going to be investing you know, 950 bucks. Right. That's A shares. B shares are, they're going to charge you that same 5%, but they're going to charge you only 1% after each of the next five years. 1% of whatever the value is after the, each of the five years. These are what these A, B, C, D, and goes on and on and on. Different methods of getting their commission from you. Now, if you ask me which is better, A shares, B shares, C shares, I will tell you A shares up front. Why? Well, because if you bought B shares and they charge you 1% a year, they charge it on the value of the fund. So the fund grew 10% the first oh, you're, year, yeah, you're, yeah. you're paying 10% more fee. Yeah, exactly. Second year, if it grew 20% over the two years, you're paying 20% more fee, 1% again. Okay. So A shares, if you're going to buy a load fund, I'd rather see you buy A shares. It's not like a bond ratings where it's the quality of the no, investment. Okay. No, it has nothing to do with that. Okay. Nothing, that's, Mike. That's right. Okay. Okay? Great, thanks. Thanks for the call. You're listening to Invest Talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. We want to answer your questions. Our listener line number is always ready for you. 888-99-CHART. Beginning our experience, we're here to answer your questions. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hello, I have a question about TSP, that's Thrift Savings Plan, uh, with a retirement plan. They introduced the life cycle five year increment, and I wanted to change my life cycle 2030 fund to a life cycle 2035 fund to match my uh, closer to my retirement date. Uh, my question is, do I do this on ideally on a day when the stock market is doing good or bad, or does it not matter? Thanks. I appreciate your show. Great question. Now, what you're trying to do is you're trying to switch from a 2030 fund to a 2035 fund. Now, the 2035 fund is naturally going to have more equity exposure, more stock exposure. 
right? So if you're moving to that, that means that you're basically buying more equities, right? Gaining more exposure to the equity markets. So ideally, you probably want to do that more on a down day in the markets, and therefore you're going to be getting more uh, more of the equity side or equity exposure uh, in your portfolio. Hope that helped. 888-99-CHART. You can get a hold of us right now. We're going to go to Maria in San Francisco. Hi, Maria. Oh, hi, Steve. Thank you for taking my call. Well, you making it makes the show. <laughs> no, you really have a wonderful show. Okay, question about your international fund. Yes. I always wanted to buy some uh, international ETF. Okay. Um, I always could not get in because, okay, for example, I'm looking at Indian, I'm looking at Mexico, I'm looking at Australia, okay? Okay. Um, those funds, you see price moving up and move down, okay? Sometimes you could bought at the resistance or, you know, you could sell at the, um, no, you bought at the... Uh, Support. Uh, right, the floor, and then you, you sell at resistance. Correct. But you just don't know what people are selling or buying for. For American, we can see our, I mean, we can hear our news, we can see what is the economy going on. But for international, especially for uh, individual investors, how, how can you track all the news? It's very difficult. Maria, so, you, hit, you hit it right on the head as so far as the difficulty. No, right. There is no um, price target. There are some, like, a 10 largest holdings, just say India, okay? Yes. You could see the top uh, one or two stocks. There could be some kind of a price target. But other than that, that's just like a 5%. So how can you figure out when to get in and when to get out? And they are very volatile. They are very volatile. So what do I do? Okay. Uh, very, very good question, Maria. Very good question. Because they can get very volatile. And if you buy a foreign stock and you want to sell it, you've got the foreign exchange rate to deal with. In other words, you may have gone up and their, and, their and their stock exchange, that stock may have gone up. But by the time you transfer it into your money here, our dollar may have gone down or gone up. It changes the whole... So it gets even more complex than Maria was talking about. Now, are you familiar with ADRs, Maria? Uh, yes. Okay. There are American depository receipts that, that are stocks that are foreign but traded here in the United States. And I won't go into all the details of how that works. But what it means, if a stock that is foreign that wants to trade on our exchanges here, they have to comply with the general accounting principles that we, our own country, our own companies have to comply with. And so what that does is it gives you more transparency to see what they're doing, okay? They still can lie and cheat and everything else, though. But so can our own companies. As we know, they do that, too. <laughs> so unfortunately. But um, American depository receipts is a good way to invest in foreign companies because then you can start putting on the same kind of growth and GP and earnings yield requirements you have. But again, you're right, Maria. When you're investing in a foreign country, how do you know if that country is not doing something crazy like Russia when they took over that oil company, Yukos? Something crazy that would never happen in our country. You never know. So there's an inherent built-in risk investing in foreign companies. And that's why it's a good idea to find a good mutual fund who does it for a living. You know, you can buy, if you, have a, if you want 10% foreign exposure in your portfolio, it's almost better to buy a mutual fund that specializes. 
great, great. You know, because then you allegedly, quote unquote, are hired an expert to invest in those foreign co companies. Very good idea. How do we go to Dave in Burlingame? How are you doing, Dave? Thank you for taking my call, and I love your show. Thank you. Thanks for calling. My question is, I understand how it's important to pay off your mortgage, especially when you're around age 50. My question to you is, would it be a good move to take the money that you have saved in your 401k to pay off your mortgage? I'm currently 47. Okay, would that be a good move or not? No, it would not be, Dave. Why do I say that? The 401k is for your retirement. And the house is also for your retirement. So saying that, you would think, well, it makes sense, does it not? No. I like you to have two different types of assets there, not just all your money in one asset. Okay? I still think it's a great idea to pay off mortgage, pay down mortgage, get those things paid off. But I don't think you should do it with retirement money. That money is uh, it's tax deductible as you put the money in there. And the other, only other tax deductible we have is the mortgage payment, the interest. Not that that's why you should have a mortgage. I don't think you should have a mortgage. I think you should try to pay it down. I would much rather see you take a little extra money every month, and I know it's tough when you're working stiff and you're not making a lot of money and a lot of free money, but I'd much rather say, see you pay 50, 100 bucks a month and use that extra money to pay down that mortgage and continue to fund your 401k. I appreciate your answer and basically leave the 401k alone. Uh, pay, uh, add whatever additional money that you can. Whatever you uh, can. To pay it off. You'll I be a surprise, Dave, how fast it will take down that mortgage if you're disciplined and do it every month. I appreciate your advice. Thanks for Thanks, taking Dave. my call. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. You can get through right now. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the Internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers 
who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99 Chart, 888 99 CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hey guys, this is Kevin from Los Angeles. So I had a question in regards to saving for taxes on the gains that you receive in uh, your different brokerage accounts. So I have a rollover 401k that I turned over to an IRA that I've been doing some trading with. I'm assuming I don't have to pay taxes for those until I retire. I just want to go ahead and double check with that. And then I also do have my other uh, personal brokerage account where uh, I keep stocks for you know several months or, or long-term ones. And I'm curious, how do you prepare for taxes on those? I've certainly had some gains in some and some losses in others. So I'm curious as to how that you know, obviously balances out come tax time. But I uh, love the show, and thanks for answering my question. Okay, first of all, on the 401k rolled into an IRA, any retirement account, any trading you do and tax losses or tax gains, capital loss, capital gains, no taxes are considered at all. Only when you start taking that money out at retirement, then that money is counted as income to you, and you are taxed at the ordinary income rate, uh, for that year that you take the money out. The theory is that hopefully you'll be in a low bracket because you're retired and don't have active income, so the tax numbers will be low. Concerning uh, tax loss selling, they call that tax loss selling at the end of the year. What you want to do is you want to look at your long-term capital gains and your short-term capital gains. Long-term capital gains are gains made holding an equity over a year or longer. Short-term is anything under less than a year. Then you look at what you what gains you made this year. You actually incurred them. You sold the position. You made profits or losses. Then you want to compare the losses, short-term losses against short-term gains and long-term losses against long-term gains. And whatever's left over, if you have a gain still, you right now before the end of the year, you look at your current portfolio and see if you can take any Long-term or short-term losses, trigger them by selling the positions to apply to your gains so that you don't have to pay taxes. If you can't, you can't. But you look at it. You see if you can't. And if you still really like those positions and you really don't want to get out of them, well, you can sell them now, wait 31 days, and buy them back. Or if it's like in a, a, an ETF, sell that ETF and go buy another ETF that does the exact same thing. Or let's say you have, um, you know, like a stock like ExxonMobil and you have a big loss in you want to take it. Sell ExxonMobil, buy Chevron right to now. You can buy Exxon 31 days from now if you want to buy it back. 
So, you know, it's, it, you, know you, you have to consider taxes as part of your job as managing your money. We're going to go to Dave in San Diego. How are you doing, Dave? I'm uh, uh, real new to this game, and I have a, a question about IRAs. Okay. Yeah, I've got some money in a, uh, a 401k from an, uh, a different employer. Yes. And, uh, you know, I don't want to just leave it in there. No. You know, their 401. Right. And I'd like to roll it into an IRA. Yes. Two-part question on that. Would I be able to take the uh, IRA deduction if I do that? No, you would not, because it's already in, in a tax-deferred vehicle already. In the okay. old 401k. So rolling okay. it over does nothing as far as being tax deductible. Now, once okay. it's in an IRA, you can add to the IRA and deduct that amount you added. That is the second part of my question. Okay. I've heard a lot of talk, you know, you can have this and that in an IRA. You can have stocks, bonds, right. blah, blah, blah. How exactly do you do that? Okay. Very good question. First of all, a 401k, if you work for some an employer who offers a 401k and then you stop working for them, the best thing to do is roll that into an IRA. But the question is, how do I do that? It's very, very easy. Depending on what you want to do with the IRA. Of course, with a 401k, you have choices in mutual funds. You can roll that 401k into like a Fidelity, a Vanguard, a Schwab. I actually prefer Schwab, believe it or not into an account and all you do is go to them and say, I want to roll my 401k that I no longer work there at now into a new IRA, uh, let's say at the Schwab program where I can pick all, any and all mutual funds, no load mutual funds I want. And they'll be happy to do that. We do it all the time where someone comes to us and wants to roll it into one of our programs. We do it for them. We, of course, have to get the paperwork, but we do it for them. We roll it from a 401k into a custodian, maybe Bear Stearns or Schwab or, you know, there's many of them. And then from there, we manage the money on the IRA. Now, there is no tax consequences when you roll it directly from a tax-deferred 401k to a tax-deferred IRA. It's also not a contribution to an IRA because it's going from, you're just swapping. It's, it's an equal trade. And once you open IRA, you can now add money to that IRA if you wanted to. You can contribute to the IRA. And, of course, it depends on if you make too much money, you can't. But that's a pretty big number. You just go to whomever you trust that you want to roll this into. It could be a bank. And you want to just put in a savings account. You go to the bank say, I want to roll this 401k into a savings account. They'll help you with the paperwork. It's very, very simple, Dave. And if you have more questions about it, just call me at the office, 800-557-5461. 800-557-5461. That's my office number. Be happy to discuss it at length with you. Thank you. Thanks. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial. Invest Talk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are the principals of KPP Financial and they are independent financial advisors. This means they place their clients' interests ahead of the firm's. As part of that commitment, KPP Financial Practices Parallel Investing, where Steve and Justin's accounts participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about Parallel Investing and the other KPP Financial programs at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open. Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call now, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve or Justin. This is Josh from Glendora, California. I've been listening since March, and I have a question for you involving setting up an account for a minimal amount of money, like $2,000. Should 
should it be a tax-deferred Roth IRA or a normal taxed account? I plan on not cashing out the money for at least a year. Thank you in advance for all your information, and thank you for your wonderful podcast. Have a good one. Bye. I would say a Roth. I see no reason why you shouldn't put that in you unless you're in a very high tax bracket. But yeah, I think that's the only reason why I wouldn't do it that way. You know, with a Roth, you can take the money out, the contributions out whenever you want. So that's a positive. And yeah, so I would definitely go with a Roth IRA and go with one of the big brokers please don't go with Robinhood or these crazy small brokers. I know they have fun, cool apps, uh, but go, go with one of the big guys. I see too many issues with these, uh, these new brokers and trading's free. Now you get all the benefits of a big, safe broker with good customer service and consistent trading platforms, etc., And you get no fees, these trading fees. So, uh, I would encourage you to go that route as well. Thanks for the call. 888-99 Charter is our number, everybody. You can reach us. We have lines open. 888-992-4278. Joe in Oceanside. How you doing, Joe? Hey, Steve. I called you regarding an insurance question, and I'm calling you again because I have another one. Not pertaining to me, but one of my wife's co-workers. She's 21 years old. She has one child. She's a single mother that's two years old. She was speaking to a guy that he was trying to sell her universal life insurance. And so I wanted to get your take. Um, what you think would be best for her to get. I would not get universal life insurance if I was her. I would not. In my personal opinion, she should get a quote on the universal life insurance, okay? It's a $500,000. Okay, let's say it's $500,000. Her premium is going to be, I don't know, $200 a month. Uh, do you know what it is? It's $107 for the first year. $107 for a month, the first year? Uh-huh. Now she should go out and get a term life policy quote. Term, maybe two from a different guy. Okay. Term life insurance policy quote for the same $500,000. Okay. And that's probably going to be $15 a month, by the way. She's 21. Yep. That could be $10 a month. What okay. she should do then is take the difference, the $90 per month difference, mm-hmm. and just start putting it into a, an IRA and start okay. investing it. And she will make a lot more money doing that than she would make using the universal life policy. They sell it to you saying it's an investment. A Roth IRA or a regular IRA? At 21, I do a Roth IRA. And she'll make a lot more money over the life of that insurance product than she ever would buying the universal life. Would you be opposed to opening up a mutual fund like you suggested? No, I would definitely suggest that she do that, yes. So what what kind of mutual fund? I know you said no-load. Always look for your no-load funds, just a no-load mutual fund. She can get it at, uh, she can go to Schwab and open up a Schwab One account. She can do a Rydex. She can go to Vanguard, different places. All no-load funds. Joe, appreciate the call. Thank you very much, Steve. Thank you very much for the call. Patrick, Mill Valley, how you doing? Here's my question. What I want to know is, my wife and I are so busy with our kids and stuff, and I'm really responsible for the uh, portfolio of my retirement, which I watch pretty closely, but a lot of times we just have a tough time taking care of the bills. Right. And I, I didn't know if there's how you might go about getting like someone to help you with that. Paying the bills or managing yeah. help managing your portfolio? The bills, because the portfolio I can stay on top of, but uh-huh. taking care of the bills, everything just goes crazy, and I'm trying to, you know, make sure I put enough into retirement, but then there's always these bills popping up with kids and, you know, know, just life. That is a real pain in the butt. <laughs> that is life, though, isn't it, Patrick? Yeah. If you're talking about actually physically paying the bills, these days, almost all, 
all the bill payers, all the all of them, allow you to pay it online and be automatic about it. In other words, you never have to issue a check. Oh, I see. And almost all of them will let you set up a mortgage, electric bill, all those normal bills you get every month. Every right. one of them would much prefer you not send them a check. Much prefer you do it automatically through your checking account, just do a transfer and let them notify we've you've collected your money and here's what the bill was. Okay. And that would save you a lot of headache. All the young guys in my office, that's how they do it. They never issue checks. Now, okay. I must admit, my wife is a dinosaur. She pays the bills at the house. <laughs> yeah, that's my wife too. Yeah, and she writes checks out, and I've tried to convince her to do otherwise. At the office, I have automatic pays a lot. Okay. Boy, does it save a lot of time and headache. <clears throat> yeah. Does. Okay, I'll, I'll look into that. That will okay. help you. That'll help you a lot. Okay. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks. Appreciate the call. 888-99-CHART is our number. 888-992-4278. Let's talk to Albert and San Mateo. How you doing, Albert? I'm get, doing well. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, I had a question. Uh, I to put some money away for my child's college education, and I'm looking at the 529 plan. Mm-hmm. I just want to know if that's the best way of doing it. She's really young. How much money do you plan on putting away a year, Albert? Ooh, that's not really set. It's going to be like 500 maybe right oh. now. And then-, then I would not suggest a 529 plan. There's two kinds of educational plans that you can do. You can do a 529 plan, which are state-sponsored plans for college only, okay? Accredited college only, not college for hair cutting or truck driver (laughs) school, okay? A regular accredited college. And there's also what's called the Coverdale. And the reason why I asked how much money you wanted to put away, in a 529 plan, you could put up to like, I think it's like $15,000 a year. In a Coverdale, you can put up to $2,000 a year. Now, why would I want Coverdale over 529? Well, because there's different rules on these things. In a 529 program, they're sponsored by individual states. And were you planning on buying a California one? Because if you're in California, you can buy any one in any state you want. Right. Okay, you can buy Illinois, Florida, California. But what happens in most 529 plans... Besides the fact that you can only spend the money on accredited colleges, you also have restrictions of what you can invest it in. Right. In a Coverdale, it's like an IRA, okay? You can start a Coverdale, and you can invest it in anything you want. And Coverdale, you can use it for that beauty school or truck driver school. You can use it for private high school. Okay. So, but you can't do it with a 529 plan. That's only for college. I know Fidelity is the one for California 529. How would I go about uh, you, getting a covered deal? Okay, you can go to anybody, Schwab, E-Trade, anybody. Anybody and say, I want to open up a covered deal. They'll say, okay, here's the forms. Okay. Now, yeah, same thing. It's really simple. And then what you do is you start putting money in it, and then you decide what you want to invest. So go to any place you want. You can go to a bank. I would suggest, you know, a discount broker. You could buy mutual funds. If you're going to buy mutual funds, Schwab is have a program called Schwab One, which I like. is a very good vehicle. But you can buy ETFs from anybody, and I like those does even have, better. Does it have the same tax implications? Exactly the same. Great. Thanks, Albert. Appreciate the call. Good question. Very good question. Hey, guys. I just started checking out your podcast, and I've been really enjoying the content. 
nonetheless, I'm 22, about to turn 23, and I just had a quick question about investing since I just started working full-time. I plan to utilize my company's 401k match and make my own contributions to like a general retirement fund. However, my question was more for like personal investing and what would make the most sense to kind of fight off inflation for money that's just sitting in a checking account I have right now. Thank you very much. And uh, I look forward to hearing back. Thank you. Now, if this is like emergency money sitting on the sidelines or money you have set aside for some specific um purchase you don't expose that to the stock market it's too dangerous uh and i know you're not making any money on that money i know that but at 22 you want to be pretty aggressive in the market you know 22 you've got a lifetime and yeah the market's going to fall 50 percent at some point in your life it will definitely fall that much sometime in your life but what you do is you buy more when it happens don't run from the market don't be scared of it but if you're just sitting on the sideline with cash and you don't want to expose it to the stock market because you have a specific purpose for it, there's not a lot of things you can do to make money. You know, it's just not because the Federal Reserve has made sure you can't make money on your money markets or your CDs or even even bonds. You know, so it's difficult. I, I do think that's one of the reasons why the market will drive higher. I really think that's now, if you have a question about a stock or an IRA, call it savings plan. Well, maybe buying a house, mortgages, reverse mortgages. We're here for you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though, 888-99 Chart, 888-99 CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hey Steve and Justin, this is Dan calling from Pennsylvania. First time caller. I uh, love the podcast. I wanted your opinion on medical marijuana stock. Is that something you like or is it too risky? Is there one that you like in particular? Just wanted your opinion on that. Thank you. Bye. Well, it's no longer really medical marijuana. It's just marijuana. I think uh, it's going to become federally legal sometime in the 2020s, or at least federally not illegal, rescheduling it as uh, not a Schedule One drug. And because there's been too many states that have now legalized it, both the majority of states in the United States have legalized it either on the recreation or the medical side and the recreational side is growing dramatically uh oregon just legalized all drugs so certainly there is that trend and i think it absolutely will happen if i'm looking at we are actually looking for these opportunities we have invested in uh in one uh we're looking at others as well and i do think that the marijuana space is ripe for uh, good investment right now what I would say, the, the one thing I would say, because I can't recommend a particular name, but one thing I would say is focus on U.S.-based companies. The previous boom, what was that, a year or two ago when you had all these, you had the Tilrays of the world and you had all these crazy stocks trading at absolutely absurd valuations based strictly on a story. Does that remind you of something today? Well, those fell off. Uh, they issued a bunch of shares, diluted shareholders. Uh, Businesses, business did well, but not as well as uh, a lot of investors were expecting, etc. And some of those are still good investments. However, I think the best opportunities are in U.S. base because there's more upside there. Canada's already legalized it. 
there's way more upside here in the United States, companies that are more focused on the U.S. So um, that's that's would be my main uh, main advice there. Thanks for the call. What are the dangers of short selling? Can anybody do it? Or what's your question? Why not ask it now at 888-99-CHART on InvestTalk. Okay, let's go to Mike in San Jose. How are you doing, Mike? Steve, I have a question about bonds. I have an Oppenheimer International A-Share Bond Fund, and I put my dividends back in each month. Am I paying that 4.75% each time I put my dividend back in? Yes, you are. Most of them is the way that happens is yes, you are. Are you buying it direct from Oppenheimer or are you going through a broker? When I set it up, it was through a broker. Check it, but generally speaking, the answer would be yes. He gets a fee every time you buy it. The only reason why I know that is I have a brother-in-law. It wasn't through Oppenheimer, through somebody else, but a big firm like that. Mm-hmm. And he did the same thing. He was reinvesting the dividends. You know, it was a very small hit every time he reinvested those dividends. But I said, they should get rid of that completely. And all it took for him was a phone call. A phone call to who? To Oppenheimer, through the brokerage firm. And then the brokerage firm does what? Waves his fee on the dividend reinvestments. Remember, it's not a lot of money to him. He's not going to make you mad just because, you know, it's just an automatic thing. I will check. Yeah, so you got to check that out. I mean, that's something you don't want to just let it go. Another question about bonds? Sure. I get really confused about bonds and how the NAV versus the yield. It's confusing to a lot of people. Try to remember when you're buying a bond fund as opposed to buying a bond directly, operates a little bit differently. If you bought a bond directly, you could just hold on to that bond, let it mature, and you get your money back plus the interest. But during the time that you're waiting for it to mature, that bond can go up and down in value, right? Yes. Bonds go up in value generally when interest rates go down. Now, why is that so? Okay, real simple. If you bought a 10-year bond today paying 5%, tomorrow, if the interest rates go down to 4%, I'm, of course, obviously exaggerating. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, the interest rates for that same bond is now 4%. Isn't your bond worth more at 5% than what you paid for it just the day before? Because now the new ones are 4%. So your bond's paying a whole 1% higher. So the value of your bond actually went up because now bonds are paying less yield. So it's an inverse relationship. When interest rates go down, bond values go up. So in a mutual fund, you first want to know what kind of bonds do they invest in. Do you happen to know, Mike? Uh, Yes, I have a Morningstar software, so I have all 150 bonds that are in it. Are they junk bonds? Are they government bonds? All uh, U.S. Treasury note, Japan government, Ireland, Republic, Belgium, okay. on and on. International. So they're going everywhere in the world. Yes. Then it makes your job a little harder because you have to know what the interest rates are going on in all those different countries. <laughs> Mike, generally speaking, if the interest rate's going down, your bond value goes up. Okay. If interest rates are going up in general, your NAV, net asset value, will go down. Question. Thank you, Steve. Bye. Thank you. Good night. Before we go, you can see more about today's topic. Go to investtalk.com. You want to contact me directly? Easy. Leave a message in the machine or go to investtalk.com. I'm money manager Steve Peasley, and I want to thank you for listening. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. 
Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.